Good morning, everyone. It's good to be here with you this morning. Uh, we know many of you, or know of you, and uh, so it's good to be back. I don't know, it's been several years I was here, preached uh, one time years ago. So yeah, good to be here, and I was really blessed uh, with the service so far. And Brother Bobby laid a good foundation for my message, uh, being here at a particular time, a particular place in history that God had a particular job for you, all of us, to do. And may I say that we are all here for a time as this. Every one of us are here for a particular reason, for a particular job that God created only you to accomplish. And, um, yeah, so the challenge is, that calling to fulfill like we've been singing about, that charge that God gave us to keep, a God to glorify, a never-dying soul to save. That's ours, our souls, our children, and those around us, our families, and those we meet, a charge to keep. As uh, our brother was sharing uh, in the children's lesson, I had to think of that verse, no greater love has a man or a person than this, that he laid down his life for another. And that's the highest calling. That's the second, the greatest commandment. The greatest commandment is to love God, and the second is like it, to love each other. And in First John it says, our test for loving God it can be tested. Our love for God is the love that we have for one another. So if we love one another, we can say that we love God. If we don't want another, don't love one another, then I think it would be a uh, an indication that there's something wrong in the vertical relationship. So relationships are important, aren't they? And it's very interesting. The Bible, we would agree, has the answers for life. We look to God's word, and therein we find direction for our lives. The Bible says in Psalms, I think it's 119, verse 105, Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So when I think of God's word being a lamp to my feet, I think it's the right here and now. The decisions that I make today... God's word can speak into the situation in my life and yours today right in front of us. Finding God's will today, taking the next step in in fulfilling his will in each of our own lives and our callings and our jobs, our callings that God has given us. And then it lights our path. We know where we're going and uh, it lights that uh, like a, a lighted path. Maybe you were somewhere at night and it's always kind of nice to see this lighted path maybe you're in uh, a park somewhere or in your garden and there's lighted paths and it just gives you that security and that direction that you're on the path and you know where you're going and you know where you're headed and and you know the destination so thy god's word is that to you and i this morning we want to look at that this morning god's word This morning, the title of my message is To Be a True Disciple. Now, we all know uh, that God calls you and I to be his disciples. 
And uh, I was thinking of being a disciple today, or we could say a Christian, and we could use those those uh, words interchangeably. But but to be a Christian today, in the most part, in our society, is a is a popular thing. Uh, it's not. Maybe it's getting worse. Maybe it's not as true as it was 30 years ago. But basically, Christianity, if you can say you're a Christian and uh, everybody's a Christian and uh, there's not a lot of meaning to that word anymore, it's watered down. Uh, so we really want to look this morning at what does it really mean to be a true disciple? And I put that word true in there. A lot of people claim to be a follower of Jesus, they claim to be a disciple, but is everybody that says they're a disciple of Jesus truly a disciple? I'll let you ponder that. Well, a disciple, like I said, is a student, a student, a learner. So when we say we are a disciple of Jesus, we say we are a student. We are a learner. We sit at his feet and we learn from him. We take instructions from him for our lives. So every one of us is a disciple. The question is, who am I calling? Who am I getting my orders from? Am I a disciple of Jesus? And I trust this morning, I just want to say, I'm not uh, preaching down to you this morning, but I say I'm applying for myself to myself. Am I this true disciple uh, of Jesus Christ? Everyone is a disciple of someone or something. Uh, We become like those who teach us. We become like those who we admire. So when we, we all have heroes and we all have people in our lives that we look up to and we aspire to be like. And so it's important who our hero is. Who is your hero this morning? Who are you aspiring to be like? I like to challenge myself and you as well. Who is calling the shots in my life? Who do I want to be like and imitate and, and be like? So who are my heroes? Who do I admire? And what makes a person a disciple of Jesus? And I, I know you, you, you know what that is, but I like to stir up our minds this morning. What makes a person a disciple, a learner? Dean Taylor said, and I really liked his quote, I never forgot it. Can I follow Jesus without following Jesus? And uh, I thought that is a profound statement. So when we say we are following something, we need, there is more than just a, and a, a mental ascent. Well, we'll get into that later. Like I said, I would be the first to admit I have a lot of room to grow in my relationship with Jesus Christ. I have not attained, and Paul said, not that I have already attained. And look, if Paul said this, where does this put me? (laughs) He says, not that I have already attained. Paul realizes, look, I haven't. I'm still growing. I'm still, I'm still pressing on. Here you, I'll, I'll read it. Not that I have already attained, nor am already perfect, but I follow after. I like that. Paul has a burning desire. He has a goal in mind. He said, but I follow after. He's making a bold statement there. I'm following after. That I may apprehend 
for which also I am apprehended of Jesus Christ. Jesus uh, reached out to him and changed his life. He said, brethren, I count up myself to have apprehended or I am not perfect. I think he's saying there, look, I don't have it all together. And if you're here this morning and you have everything together in your life, I'd like to talk with you. Because <laughs> uh, I haven't. There. But the point I want to make is we need each other. And, and, and we do. And, and, and as we seek God and as we desire to follow him, we can become perfect in him. But this one thing I do, I forget those things which are behind and reach forth to those things which are before. I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So, what is the posture of my heart this morning? What is the posture of your heart this morning? I trust it is a reaching forth, a reaching out. And the the cry of our heart is to be like Jesus. The cry of our heart is to follow him. The cry of our heart is to be a true disciple, to be a true learner of Jesus. So what characterizes a true disciple? This morning we want to see what the Bible says about this subject of being a true disciple. After all, it's not my opinion or John Ray's opinion or Earl's opinion or your deacon's opinion or whoever. But it's what the Bible says. So this morning we want to put this This thing of being a disciple, a true disciple, we want to put that to the test. You know, uh, when I was a boy, I don't know, I was probably 12 years old, maybe 14, uh, Sperry ran New Holland, uh, they made the bailers, you know, and that was one of their popular, they they sold thousands of those bailers. Well, before they actually put them on production, mass production to sell them, they tested them. So they would come, I remember them at one time coming to our neighboring farm and the, and the farmer had, uh, had made the hay and it was all ready to bale there. And so they brought that baler out and they tried that baler out. They intentionally, I think, put it to the test. Could we say they almost abused it? Men, you would know what they said. They probably had the, the, the RPMs too high and that baler was cranking and, Bouncing over the field and, and, uh, making sure that those, those bales, the nodder was working and I don't know what all they were testing, but they were putting that machine to the test. I'm using that as an illustration this morning that God puts us to the test. Am I a true disciple of Him? And we want to look at three tests this morning that God requires of us to be a true disciple of Jesus. I've seen the same thing at Ag Progress Days. I don't know if you were there. I enjoy watching them harvest corn or, or, or do whatever, disc fields. And they put the things to the test. And God, God is testing us. And we can pass that test if we are true and faithful to him. Because God would not ask us to do anything that he will not give us the power to do. We're convinced of that. So this morning, we'd like to bring into focus three concepts the Bible requires to be a true disciple of Jesus. And I'm sure there's more than three. But I would just like to lift out three points 
what it means to truly be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I trust the result of this message here this morning would be to motivate us and to stir us and to build that fire under us like the uh, like they did with the donkey. The, the donkey would not move and the farmer was trying to pull this this animal. So he built a little fire under the donkey. <laughs> so the donkey started to move. No, I don't want to. Yeah, I like that. So, I believe it is very important that you and I as Christians, and I have confidence you do, but I'm just going to lift this point up, that we have a holy reverence for the Word of God. God is has the authority. God's will is revealed in the Word of God. It says, forever settled in heaven. My word is forever settled in heaven. Not one jot or one tittle shall pass away to all be fulfilled. This is the truth. This is the whole encompassing truth of God. It's his message to you and I this morning. Someone has said, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. But there's one thing wrong with that phrase. God said it, and that settles it. God's word, God's truth is not contingent on whether I believe it or not. God's truth stands on its own. God says it's true, and that settles it, whether we believe it or not, whether I believe it. But I trust I'm speaking to a people this morning of confidence that you are a people who have a a reverence for God's word, a fear of God, a proper holy fear of God and his word, and that that word is uh, the the guide of your life, and it gives you the direction from which you live your life. So, we want to look at three points here this morning, what it means that I've chosen to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I'm just going to list them three briefly, And then we're going to go back to the first one and we're going to drill down on them a little bit and just expand on a little bit. The first one is a disciple of Jesus Christ must know the way. You know, there's a huge difference between knowing someone or uh, or knowing about someone or really knowing the person. Now, I think I know, I could say I know most of you, but I'll use an example. John F. Kennedy. Who was John F. Kennedy? Anyone? He was the President of the United States. Anything else you might know about him? He was a Catholic. He was Catholic, yeah. I forgot about that. He got shot. He was assassinated, yeah. And uh, somebody said that he... uh, often was seen combing his hair with his fingers. So the point I want to make is we know about John F. Kennedy, but do we really know him? No. The point, you're getting the point. Do we know about God or do we really know God and who he is? There's a big difference, folks, and I'm sure you, you're aware of that. Jesus said, I am the way. We're talking about the way, about knowing the way. A disciple of Jesus must know the way. And 
Jesus said, I am the way. And that's basically saying that to know the way, you have to know Jesus. That makes sense? That's a logical conclusion of that. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father by me. To know the way is to know Jesus. We must have a personal encounter with Jesus in order to know the way. The second point that we're going to be looking at is the disciple of Jesus must go the way. First, we know the way, then we go the way. Obedience is a way of life for the disciple of Jesus. Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14, enter, and I'm reading from the New King James, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to What? Destruction. And many there are that go in there. Because narrow is the gate and difficult the way, there are few that find it. So it's a going. It's a lifestyle. It's a way of life, this going. And then the third point is a disciple of Jesus must show the way. We have a responsibility, folks, this morning as Christians to show the way, to live out our Christian life. Uh, and to, yeah, Jesus said, let your light so shine before so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So we must know the way. We must have an encounter with Jesus. We must go the way and we must show the way. Each of these principles, I think, are interconnected. I don't think it's possible to omit even one of them. If we don't know the way, we can't go the way and neither can we show the way. If we claim we know the way but don't go the way, that is also hollow. And... God demands that we show the way. That's a a charge that we had. So each one of them builds on each other. All three must be in place in the life of the believer to be a true disciple of Jesus. Now, going to the first one, we're going to drill down on the first one a little bit here. Each one of these. The disciple of Jesus Christ must know the way. Every disciple of Jesus Christ must have have experienced a personal life-changing encounter with Jesus. If you're here this morning and you had that encounter, you know what difference that made in your life and how you think, your perspective, your goals, your desires, your longings. It totally changes your changed your life. And I want you to turn to Second Peter 1, verses 2 to 4. Second Peter... One, verses two to four, two, three, and four. And this is Peter here. He's writing to those Christians of like precious faith. That's you and I this morning. And he's saying, grace and peace be multiplied to you through the what? Knowledge. Knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's knowledge. He's emphasizing that word knowledge through the knowledge of him. Grace is multiplied. Peace is given to you and I 
through the knowledge of him. We're talking about knowing the way. According to his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge again of him who hath called us to glory and virtue. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. That by these you might be partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through last. Here again, the point I'm making is it's a knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ. And it's through the knowledge of him who has called us to glory and virtue. And by getting this knowledge, by obtaining, obtaining this knowledge from Christ, from God, we, we uh, miraculously, I think could say, uh, we get this divine power within us. That we can live above the world, the flesh, and the devil. And that's a beautiful thing. Here again, I mentioned before, God is not asking you and I to do something that we are unable to do. But he gives us that divine power. He gives us the promises, uh, the divine promises that, that we can claim. That we might be partakers of the divine nature. He uses that, that word there. It's his divine power in verse 3. And verse 4, it's a divine nature. God-like power, God-like nature. Amazing that you and I, through the knowledge of Jesus, can take and, and experience the divine nature of God. Have you experienced that this morning? Have I experienced that? Is that a reality in your life? That you have the divine nature. We can take on the very nature of God. And we can be like God in the sense that we have his nature. That's awesome. Does that encourage you? Does that thrill your heart this morning? Is that something you're seeking after? I trust it is. Yeah, this uh, message has spoken to me. So I'm not preaching down to you folks. <laughs> I am here. I'm lifting up the word of God and letting him the, be the standard in our lives. Uh, the, the divine nature. You know, this all starts. This this relationship with God. We talked about a relationship here and that was good. It all starts with realizing who God is and his holiness and his love and his mercy and then who you and I are. We're sinners. Without Jesus, we're bankrupt. We're lost. We're without hope. We're without God. We're doomed for destruction. That is important that we realize who God is. And then when we see God, who he is, then we can say with Isaiah, Woe is me, for I am clean and undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. And, and he, sees his, he sees his own need of a Savior. We all, in order for us to know God, to know the way, we need to realize that about ourselves. We need to get that straight. I need to get that straight. We come to the place where we see our own righteousness is as filthy rags. Sin separates us from God. We are without Christ. We are without hope. We are afar off. I think it's Ephesians there talks about that. Our sin has offended a holy God and there's a separation between a holy God and a sinful man. And I'm saying this, that we need to realize our need of a Savior in order to have this relationship. That's the first step. 
We need to repent of our sins. We need, we were going in this direction. We were serving Satan. We were serving our flesh, the world and the devil. And we need to renounce that and, and turn around and follow Christ and make him Lord of our lives in order to experience this knowing. We must confess and forsake our sins. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to what? Forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Awesome. Thank you, Jesus. We must make him Lord of our life. I mentioned that. Make him Lord. What does that mean? It's a nice term, but what does it really mean? That means I get off the off the throne of my life. You know, each of us has this throne. And if I'd be an artist, I would draw a picture of a throne and a person sitting on that. I need to get off the throne, out of the driver's seat, and allow Christ to be the driver and to, be, to call the shots in my life in order for me to truly know him. If he will not be, he will not be our savior if he, if we do not make him Lord. Do you believe that? Jesus will not be two-timed. Um, it's either all for Jesus or for myself. We can't, we can't two-time God. It's one or the other. So Jesus is standing at our heart's door this morning. And I don't know where you are in your Christian life or where you are in your life, if you ever gave your heart to the Lord. But he's knocking. He wants to know you. He wants you to know him. We're talking about knowing him. We're talking about making him Lord of our life. And one thing, another thing that needs to happen in order for us to make Christ Lord of our life, we need to die to self. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet not I. But Christ lives Within me and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I am crucified with Christ. That is a, that is a painful experience. You know, we, we sing that song, um, Dead to the world would I be, O Father, dead unto sin, alive unto thee, Crucify all the earthly within me, emptied of sin and self may I be. But sometimes I think, well, I just sing over that song and these words. And yeah, I mean it, but crucify all the earthly. To crucify means to put to death. To be crucified is a horrible, painful experience. Um, so the Lord is chiseling at me every day. And he's turning up the heat in my life. And he's putting Earl Fox to the test. And he's seeing what I'm made of. And he is wanting to crucify the flesh in me. 
And, and one, and one way we're saying, yes, Lord, uh, Lord, I give up. I crucify all the earthly. And then when the Lord brings something to their life, oh, Lord, uh, please, what's happening here? Oh, he's trying to purify us. Crucify all the earthly within me. Emptied of sin and self, may I be. So we need to be, let's allow Christ to do that painful work, to do that surgery, to get on the operating table and let God cut out those that bad heart, that evil heart, and put in giving us a heart of flesh. Knowing the way, and I've just mentioned, I think, this in passing, knowing the way is more than head knowledge. We know people, or it's more than just a mental ascent. Years ago, I knew this man. And just on the surface, you would think this man really is a, yeah, he's a pillar. He knows his Bible, and he really knew his Bible. And in Sunday school, he would give the best thoughts, and he would know his Bible. And But in his private life, and with his relationships, they didn't add up. So my point is, this man had a mental ascent. He had a head knowledge. He knew all the facts and was able to eloquently expound them. But I don't know, and I'm not to judge. But somehow, you know what I'm saying? It didn't add up. His life didn't add up. So I challenge myself and you as well. Does it add up? Do I really know Jesus? And if I know him, it's going to make a difference. It's more than just a mental ascent. It's more than just this knowing part. And Paul says it so well. Pardon me, I'm going to pull out my cell phone and read from the Amplified. I should have typed it out here. See if I can't find this. Philippians 3. Philippians 3. And I'm reading from the Amplified. And it's verses 8 to 10. And he says it so well here. Talks about uh, about know him, and here in this in this uh, portion of scripture, it's Philippians three uh, eight to ten. It's it's Paul's heart cry to really know, to deeply know who God is, and this is what he says. And this is in the context of of Paul's own self made righteousness and he says yes furthermore and I'm reading from the Amplified I count everything lost compared to the possession of the priceless privilege the overwhelming preciousness the surpassing worth the supreme advantage of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord and of progressively becoming more Deeply and intimately acquainted with him. Boy, isn't that a a mouthful? A lot there. This is Paul. This is what he's saying. Okay. Becoming more intimately acquainted with him, of perceiving and recognizing and understanding him more fully and clearly. 
For his sake, I have lost everything and consider it all to be mere rubbish, refuse, uh, dregs, in order that I may win and gain Christ. Wow. May that be our heart's cry this morning to know Jesus intimately and to do what it takes to pull out all the stops, to spend time with him, reading his word, allowing Jesus to talk to me, and I in turn then reciprocating and talking to him in prayer and and pouring out my heart to him, taking that time to know him intimately. So may that challenge uh, you and I this morning to know him, that desire. In reading from Proverbs, there's another, I really like Proverbs. They are Proverbs 2. Going to read that. My son, if you will receive my words. And notice the progression here. Notice the, the intensity or the, yeah, the, the, the heart's cry of the, uh, of the writer here. He says that if, if you're going to receive my words and hide the commandments with you, so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom and apply thy heart to understanding. So we're receiving, we're hiding the commandments in our hearts. We are inclining our ear. We're listening up. We're at attention when God speaks to us. We apply, we apply our hearts to this, this understanding. If thou criest after knowledge and liftest up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver and searchest for her as for hidden treasures, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. I think that's implying that that's what it takes for us to truly know God. And it's been a real challenge to me, folks. Where are we on the Richter scale? Where are we? On that, where is my where is my desire? Where where do I go when I'm in the what do you call it the reset mood when you just yeah you're in neutral you're in cruise brother Denny would say Denny Kennison when we're in cruise where does where does our mind go to? It's been a real challenge to me to know. We're talking about knowing God. We're talking about knowing the way and knowing the way is knowing the author of the way. Second point. The disciple of Jesus Christ must go the way. That speaks of, when we think of going, that's action. That's movement. Something is happening. It's more than just theology. It's now reaching into our lives and affecting how I live and move and have my being. It's how I, not only how I think, but how I do. And it had to do with my, my spirit and my, my actions. The disciple, someone has said the disciple of Jesus, listen, chooses his destination. The disciple of Jesus chooses his destination. That's the way of the cross. That's the way. That's God's way. We're talking about going the way. He chooses his destination and accepts the path. You've heard that before, probably. So whatever that path is, and if I am going to here to Hopeland or whatever, I choose my destination, 
And whatever the road is that's leading there, I accept. Or if you're in third world country, if you're in Haiti or whatever, you're going to Ileg or whatever, you choose the path. You, pardon me, you choose the destination and you're going to accept the path. That's the wise man. That's the Christian. The foolish man, he chooses the way. A nice way. Beautiful. Easy. Straight. Uh, not hilly. But the guy doesn't know where he's going. And it might be taking him the wrong course, the wrong direction. So, are you the wise person or the foolish? Are you choosing your destination? You have your goals set and you're going to, and God has promised to be with you on that way. And you, your mind is set and you are going. And whatever comes, I'm going to trust the Lord. He's going to be with me to go through the waters through trials, whatever situation that comes in my life. Let's be that wise person. We're talking about going the way now. Um, going the way is a deliberate choice, folks. It just doesn't happen. Going the way of Jesus is a deliberate choice. It's finally, there's a time, a person that is going the right way. A person, a disciple who is going the right way definitely had to make a choice to go that way. It just doesn't happen automatically. But there's a choice that needs to be made. And Jesus said this, and I'm going to turn to it. In Matthew 7, Matthew 7, 21 to 23. You may turn there if you want to. Matthew 7. Twenty one to twenty three. Oh, is that the one I wanted? Nope, we all, we already referred to that one. Yep, I, I messed up there. Wrong wrong reference. Anyway, we choose the right way. We choose the narrow way. That's the point. We choose, in 1 John 2, 15 to 17, it says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the what? The love of the Father is not in him. Making a choice. Do we love God or do we love the world? And I ask that question. You know, the world might be different to me than what it is to you. Let me explain that. (laughs) With each age group, when I was a teenager, the world to a young person might look different. It had its different appeal than what it would a person my age. But we all have to face it. We all have the world and the flesh to deal with, folks. I don't care what age you are. So that's the point I'm I'm making here. Love not the world. And each of us needs to decide. And every brotherhood, I believe, needs to decide what the world is. Uh, I think there needs to be a... a, a, I think we need to be talking about this. What is the world? Because if we love the world, 
The love of the Father is not in him. And he didn't talk, he didn't specifically, I think it's a divine order that, that God didn't specifically say, thou shalt not do this and this and this, because there's continually things that we face in our lives today with all the technology and all the, all the things that the world is screaming at us. It's imperative that we know what the world is. That's the point I want to make. Love, not the world or the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's not Earl Fox. That's We're talking about going the way. We're talking about things that would affect us, how we live and how we spend our money. Oh. Yeah. And James says in James, what is it, 4-4? He who loves the world is the enemy of God. So is that important or isn't it? It is. It is, folks. So we as Christians, we as brotherhoods, I think it is good for us from time to time to speak into these issues. Yeah, ye adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whoever wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And then, let me just turn to that. I'd like to turn to James 4. Because there's a cure to that. It's a cure. James 4. Seven to ten. Here's the cure. Here's the cure. If we're tempted to be whatever the world is, whatever is screaming at you that is against God, against his nature, it says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. That sound like a good cure? Therefore, oh, pardon me, resist the devil. And he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning. In other words, repent. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. That's the cure. We're talking about going the way. Humility is so important. Seeking after God is so important. Going the way demands practical obedience to God's word. This is how we know. I'm quoting from New King James, 1 John 5, 2. This is how we know we love the children of God, by loving and keeping his commandments. That's how we know. Are, you, are we keeping his commandments? Is that the desire of your heart? To obey God in every way that you can and to the best of your knowledge and the best of your ability. That's how we know. We love God. That's the test. We're talking about the test here this morning. Matthew seven twenty-one to 27 says, Not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father. We're talking about going the way. We're talking about doing and obeying. Not everyone. You know, words are cheap. There's a lot of people that are making a lot of claims today. 
and can look very, very enticing and have glowing testimonies. And I'm not here to judge people. I'm not here to throw rocks. But I'm just saying the test is what? In doing. In doing the will. Yeah, because I see this more and more. With people that are making a lot of claims. I just think we need to be aware, folks. We're not the judge. And I, I don't think we should. And I did say that. But are, are they lining up with God's word? That's how we can know. Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. But he that does the will. Revelation twenty two fourteen. Blessed are they that do his, what? Commandments. That they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. I think that's just that initial Welcome, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of thy lords. It was those who do, who are walking the walk, folks. And we all know the story in Samuel, chapter 15, verse, first Samuel 15, 22. Samuel told, uh, Saul, I want you to go and completely destroy the Amalekites. Everybody. The cattle, everything. And uh, so they went to battle. They didn't destroy everything. What did he bring back? Was it the Babylonian garments? Or was it was that in a different one? It was, it was the animals, the sheep. Yeah. And so, I'm not sure, but Samuel finds this out. And he goes to Saul. And he says, Saul, did you obey the commandment of the Lord? Oh, yes, yes, we, we did. And Samuel says, what about, I, I hear all these sheep bang. Oh, oh, yeah, well, that was the people. So he was pushing blame. And Saul reminds him, and this is what the point I want to make here. He says, to obey is better than sacrifice. Apparently, Saul said, oh, we're going to use all these animals. We bought the best of the flock from, from the Amalekites. And we're going to use these for sacrifice. And Samuel says, no, no, no. To obey, to hearken is better than sacrifice and to obey than the fat of rams. Than, you know, all this sacrificing and going and going through all these rituals. God puts a, a premium on obedience, folks. Let's be an obeying people. Yeah. In a right way. Out of our love for him. We, we obey. It's a response. We're talking about Going the way. And we could, we could talk about the wise and the foolish man. The foolish man built his house on the sand and the rains came and the winds blew and the floods came and the floods came and descended on that house and it swept it away. It crashed. Because he was the one that heard the word of God but didn't do it. The wise man built his house on the rock and the winds came. And the floods came and the winds blew and and it poured and and the house stood firm. And the house didn't crash. Because he was a he heard the word of God and he was he also did it. We're talking about going or knowing yeah, going the way. 
Going the way demands holy living as a way of life. Peter says in First uh, Peter one sixteen, for it is written, "Be holy, for I am holy." And we have that mandate, folks, to live holy lives. It's a matter of living, rejecting sin, anything that that um, is offensive to God. We reject. Paul says in Romans six fifteen and sixteen, "What then shall we sin, because we are not under the law?" But under grace, do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves? This is from the uh, uh, New King James again. To whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are the one slave to whom you obey. So we're yielding to Christ and we're walking the way. That's whose servants we are. That's the test. We're talking about putting this thing to the test. But if we yield ourselves to the flesh, the world, the devil, and his way, that's who we are serving. That's what he's saying. Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are new. This person who has this desire, this burning desire... To go the way and who actually walks it out is it's a living example of, of, uh, the work of Christ in his life. We become his workmanship and we are new creatures in Christ and he gives us a new heart and he gives us the power to go the way. And the last, we talked about what knowing the way Going the way, and now it's showing the way. Each of us has a responsibility as born-again Christians. We have all this knowledge and all the promises and everything that entails. We have all the answers to life, and we should. I mean, through through the Bible. I'm not saying that we have the answer, but you know what I meant. We, we Christians should have, uh, as we point people to Christ, we point people to the Word. There goes my paper. We have, we should have be well able to give answers. We should be able to show the way. We are a representative of the kingdom of God to others. We have influence on others. As Christians, you and I have the responsibility to be a salt and a light. We show those around us the way. We may be the only Bible our heathen friends read. They're watching you, folks. They're watching you and I. And so what are they reading into? What are they, what are they seeing in my life? Am I showing the way? And I'm going to turn to 1 Timothy 4.12. First Timothy 4.12 Let no man despise your youth, but be an example. Here it is. Be an example of the believer. We're talking about showing the way. The best way to show the way is to, to, to live the way. 
Be an example of the believer in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. And if we do that, folks, if we can do that in a Christ-like way, that is powerful. I think the, the greatest testimony that we can give to our children is, is going the way and then showing the way by the way we live. That we're an example. We're an example of the believer in word. The things that we say. We speak like a Christian. We're showing the way by how we speak. We're showing the way yeah, in our conversation. The way we live. Our lifestyles. We show the way. In charity. How, how we love. Even when we're treated unjustly, unfairly, in spite of all that. We show the way that we are going to continue to love in spite of negative circumstances, in spirit. We show the way in spirit. You know, each of us has a spirit emulating from us. So what spirit am I emulating? Am I an angry person? Am I short and snappy to my wife and... You know, do I do I sass people off? Am I a grump? Or do I walk around with a with a sour look? Or 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 am I cheerful, in spirit? Am I a a person that that is emulating the love of Christ and speaking life where wherever I can? In charity, in faith, in purity. We're talking about showing the way. Ephesians 5, 2, he talks about walking in love. And I'm emphasizing the word walking here. It's a, it's a path. It's a going. It's a daily, continual experience. Walk in love. It's a lifestyle. We walk in love. We love God. People can see that. We're showing the way. We, we walk in love in our homes. We walk in love at work. This is showing, it's a powerful way. Somebody said, Christians, you need to be preaching the word of God. And if necessary, say words, use words. And there's a lot of truth to that. Yes, we need to, we need to show the way by how we live, by our attitudes. And then we can use words too. But he says, walk as children of light. We know, we've, most of us have grown up in Christian homes. We've heard the word of God. I grew up in a Christian godly home. And we had summer Bible school. We had winter Bible school. We had Sunday school. We had revival meetings. We had all day meetings. So there was not a dearth of teaching. But where the disconnect came to is that we didn't, for people, yeah. For I didn't apply it. That's for that's the test. We hear it. We have all the knowledge. Where the for the discrepancy is that gap between what we know and 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 how we're living. So I want to challenge us. Then he says too to walk circumspectly. That's from Ephesians. Walk circumspectly. That circumspectly that means. I think that's uh, the root word of that is circumference, like all around the circumference of a circle. 
So that means that we are walking very carefully. We don't, we don't just believe everything that we see. We test the spirits. We, we, we compare with what we're hearing to the word of God. And then in Matthew, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You're the light of the world, and you're like this city that is set on a hill that cannot be hid. It'd be very hard to hide a, the light of a city at night. If the city is lit up, it would take a big blanket or something to hide that city. That's how we're supposed to be. That's the church. That's you and I. We're to be like a city. Impossible to hide. We're in a city that is set on a hill, cannot be hid. People will see your lives. They're going to see oases. They're going to see my life and yours. And it's going to be shining. It's going to be giving a, a, a light and a testimony. And it's going to be showing the way. Go make disciples, Jesus said. Go into all nations and make disciples. And then, in closing, in Jude, I, I love this picture. Finally, this person, this disciple, who has this burning desire to know the way. He has to his best of ability surrendered his life to God, and he is going the way by God's grace. And he has also been faithful in showing the way. He was faithful. Finally, he comes to the end of his life. And then in Jude, he says, now unto him who is able to keep you, let me get it, to present you faultless. Ah, let me, let me get it here. I thought I could quote it. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless. Here is Jesus. And put your name in there. Here is so-and-so. Your name. Jesus brings us to the Father. He's presenting here, brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so. Him, her, she was, he was faultless. With exceeding joy. Jesus is going to do that with exceeding joy. That's a beautiful picture there. To present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God our Savior. Be glory, majesty, dominion, and power both now and forever. Amen. Let's be faithful, folks. Let's be determined together as a brotherhood, as churches, as families, young people. Let's be resolved to be all for God that God is calling us to. And then I'd like to just read this story in closing. Now, this is the closing. I'm going to land the, land the airplane here. It's a story of this, this man who went through the motions in his life. But there's something missing in his life. And I'll let you decide. Listen to this. The Silent Lantern. This story took place in the era in which trains were the ideal way of transportation. Thus, the need for a signal man at every railroad crossing arose. 
The signal man involved in this story was named Trusty Tom. He lived in a dingy old tar-papered shack nestled by the railroad crossing. Day and night, he kept his ears alert, listening for the warning whistle of the oncoming train. One evening, as the sun was slowly sinking behind the Emerald Hills, Tom was sitting on a fallen log outside his home. Back resting against an upright tree, greasy cap pulled over his forehead, arms folded over his ample pouch, snoring softly, he was the sign of utter contentment. Suddenly, from down in the valley, he heard the piercing shriek of an oncoming train. He jumped from the log, grabbed his faithful lantern, and began to wave it furiously, yelling, Stop! Train is coming! Train is coming! to warn the oncoming vehicle of an approaching train. But the car paid no attention to his warning. Peering through the dark, he caught a glimpse of four people in the Model T. Glancing over his shoulder, he was horrified to see the train coming over the crest of a small hill. Wiping beads of sweat from his brow, he gave his lantern a harder swing, but to no avail. Tom groaned in agony as he heard the crunch of glass and metal, thinking of the four lives that had been snatched away so quickly into eternity. The funeral was the next day. As Tom stood on the outskirts of the crowd that had gathered in the cemetery, he overheard two gossipy old ladies talking about the bereaved family. Did you hear? said one to the other. The family said they are planning to sue the railroad company. Well, now, agreed the other, I certainly would too. The weeks seemed to fly by on wings of a bird. In no time at all, it seemed that Tom was packed into the smoky, crowded courtroom, along with the rest of his fellow townsmen. As witness after witness was called to the stand, it seemed as if the railroad company was going to lose the case. At last, the witness called to stand. The last witness called to the stand was Tom. The judge thundered question after question at him. Were you standing in the middle of the road? Yes, your honor. Were you waving your lantern as hard as you could? Yes, your honor. Were you in direct view of the oncoming car? Yes, your honor. Tom was relieved when the judge dismissed him from the stand. The the crowd waited in hushed anticipation as the judge stepped to the edge of the platform and announced loud and clear to all to hear it was decided that all charges against the railroad company were dropped as tom slowly made his way out of the courtroom door the president of the railroad company rushed out to greet him thank you so much for that wonderful way you defended our company if it hadn't been for you i would we would have lost tom replied with the Sly grin. I was a bit nervous about the whole business myself. You see, if that judge would have asked me if my lantern was lit, I would have said no. So friends, let's be a bright light for Jesus and warn others of the oncoming destruction. Here this man was. He was going through the motions, but he didn't have his lantern lit. May that not be said of you and I. Let's Know the way, let's go the way, and let's show the way. May God bless you.